This podcast is brought to you by New Hope Baptist Church. For more information, visit the website newhope.net.au or follow us on social media. Well, good morning. It's great to be here with you in church here in the auditorium and to everyone online as a part of our stream. It's great to be worshipping God with you today uh, as we celebrate women in our lives. All of the women in our lives, in society, their role in the Kingdom of God and all the women of our church. We celebrate um, what that is today. If I was to ask you a question about who you are, what would you say? How would you describe yourself? What would it be about your personality, your stories, your experiences that you would choose to share if I asked you who you are today? Well, I would say that I'm an introvert. I'm an introverted person. I'm an introverted people person. And so I have this funny mix that I walk in my life where I like being around people. I enjoy you, I like you and I'm and, and, and encouraged by spending time with people, but there's very clear limits for me. I'm an introvert who walks this balance between sharing my life with others and wanting to be on my own. I really like my space. I really like going for a run on my own. I don't wanna be part of a running club with other people. That sounds like the worst, trying to run and talk at the same time. I just wanna do it on my own. I like driving my car and sometimes turning the radio off and it being silent. I like having conversations at the side of of the room at a party and not being in the middle with everyone looking at me like you all are right now. I like just being at the edge and having conversations with people who I know, who I've built relationship over a long, long time. I'm an introverted people person who doesn't necessarily want the limelight or to take over the show or to be seen. And so when I tell people this, uh, they often kind of say to me things like, no, 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 Lance, you're you're probably wrong. You're probably not as introverted as you think you are. And I say, well, I'm probably right. (laughs) I've known myself for a little while. And I often think, you don't realise how much work it's taken for me to hold this conversation with you right now. (laughs) As a teenager, it took a lot of work to be able to hold a conversation with someone. And I noticed that I felt like I had nothing to offer. I had nothing to give the conversation. But here's what I found about all of you. Outside of my bubble and my little world that I'm safe and comfortable in, here's what I learn about all of you. You love to talk. And your favourite topic is yourself. And so I found that if I asked questions, people would talk, particularly questions about themselves. And so as a teenager, I started asking questions. Well, what are you into? What are your interests? What are your hobbies? What are your hopes? What are your dreams? What do you want to do with your life? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And they would just talk and talk and talk. And we'd have this incredibly long conversation and we'd finish and they'd say, oh, that was a great conversation. And I'd think, how easy is this? (laughs) And I found my way as a teenager to find confidence and assurance and a way of engaging with people when I genuinely was interested in them. 
and what they had to say, whether it was about themselves or something else, it didn't matter. When I was generally interested, we had all sorts of fascinating conversations and I learned all sorts of fascinating things. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, and I had no plan B and it was a bad conversation, but I kept trying. I stuck at it. And I found my way to confidence and assurance in in who I am. I would describe myself as an introverted people person. So who are you? How would you describe yourself if I was to ask you this question? I'm really interested in what you would say. And today I'm really interested in what you'd leave out. What doesn't make the cut of your story? Or what's between the lines of the story that you would describe? What I'm really interested today in, what is the part that you would leave out because it's awkward, it's uncomfortable, you feel shamed to name it, it it carries guilt, it carries disappointment, it carries an emptiness, it carries something that you don't like hearing yourself say it. You've noticed others don't like hearing you say it. it. It brings up emotion in you so it doesn't come to the surface when you describe yourself because there's always a part of the story that we don't want to tell that doesn't make the cut when we describe ourselves. Mine is that I really want to be an extrovert. I really want to be an extrovert. It looks like so much fun. I want to be someone who is energetic, larger than life personality, this charisma, this energy that walks into the room, that lights it up, that everybody wants to be around them. It looks like I could do so much with that kind of personality. They just come into the room, they talk to anybody and everyone. Everyone feels good on the receiving end of the conversation. They're not awkward, they're not uncomfortable. They go to parties and they talk to people and entertain them. They they, they just look like they're thriving being around people. It looks so much fun. I'm tired of being tired hanging around with people. I'm tired of being exhausted, being around the very people who I want to be around. I don't want to be nervous every time I make a phone call, every time I have a conversation with someone who I don't know or haven't met before. I don't want to long to be on my own. I don't want to continuously wonder, am I wasting my life by wanting to spend time? On my own. I want to be an extrovert. It looks like so much fun. I could do so much with that kind of personality. And I don't say this often because when I do, people kind of wriggle and feel uncomfortable. <laughs> they kind of say things like, no, Lance, you're okay. You're okay. You're fine. Don't worry about it. And what I kind of get while I appreciate the sentiment is, this is kind of awkward. Don't say that. you're okay, just just don't worry about it. In other words, box that, put it in a little parcel and put that down to the side. Now, don't get me wrong, I've got a very healthy self-image. I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I don't want you to think that I'm having a crisis right now in front of you. I'm very comfortable in my own skin and I've learned to embrace and know who I am. So, So don't feel sorry for me right now. But let's be really raw. If I could change one thing about me, I reckon this would be it. I want to be more extroverted. 
this is something of a deep angst within my life that I would love to change. So when I ask you, who are you? What would you say? What would you leave out? Because today I want to talk about the things that we might leave out. Our deepest shame, our deepest angst, our deepest disappointment, lament, regret, pain or loss. The thing that you've learnt not to name but to keep it in a box and to the side and to not bring it out because you or everyone else feels uncomfortable when you name it. I want to talk about that today. Because often we think we can box it up and put it in the cupboard and leave it at home and live our lives like it wasn't there. But the reality is it sits just behind the surface most often. It's just there. It's not named, no one else sees it, but it's dictating so much of what we do and how we respond and what we're thinking about. It's just there with us despite our attempts to box it and put it in the cupboard and leave it at home. And one of the biggest lies that we tend to believe because this thing is so close is that somehow it is a barrier between me and God. That this thing that that I carry around with me all the time, that it would separate me from being all that God wants me to be. It would hold me back from the call God has on my life. It might separate me some ways from God's love. God would want me to relieve myself of this thing, to free myself, to have some kind of new uh, experience in my life. If I could just get rid of this thing, I would be better. I would be happier and God's love would work through me more profoundly or I'd be able to do the things that he's asking me to do, but I can't because this is holding me back. And what I want to tell you today, I want to give you the end right in the middle of my message. You are chosen by grace. It is by grace that you were seen, you were known, you were loved, you are chosen by grace. Before you said, did, acted, received anything that contributed to this angst, you were already chosen by the grace of God. Not by your work, but by His nature, His character, His grace, you have been chosen. Before you ever achieved a thing, He saw you, He knew you, and He loves you. And so with that in mind, I want to take us to Genesis 15. I want to read a a story together that may seem unusual in some ways as we get into it, but a story where I think God shows us how His grace is so powerful and present in the midst of our angst, of our shame, of our disappointment in our lives. Genesis 15, I'm going to read from verses 1 to 6. This is a conversation that God has with Abram here in the Scriptures. It says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And then God took Abram outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Verse six, it says, Abram believed the Lord 
and he credited it to him as righteousness. He credited it to him as righteousness. Now, often we read this part of the story, this conversation with Abram and God, and and we tend to believe that, well, this is a story, a narrative about God's promises, about how God can be trusted, about how whatever He says, He will deliver, He will give us, and then we will be okay. Maybe we might use it to say, God will give you the desires of your heart. Abram is longing for a child and God promises a child and ultimately we read and we know that that's what Abram receives and so we can trust God. We can know that He will give his, He will answer His promise. He will give you what you desire. But it's not quite that simple, is it? Because Abram doesn't walk around with a Bible fully edited in his hand seeing how the whole story will play out. He doesn't have the end of the story in his grasp as he has this conversation. No, Abraham, just like you and I, lives right now in the moment. He can't tell what's happening tomorrow. He can't even tell what's happening next year or or next decade in the ways that this story is going to have to be proven. Abraham lives like you and me in the moment. So we'd be wise to not reverse engineer and read the end of the story into this moment, but instead read it how we live our lives and how Abraham's living his life in this moment. We'd be wise not to jump to um, stories that say this is, a, this is an example that God will give you the desires of your heart or whatever you ask for, although you can make that great sermon, you can preach that and it's fantastic and maybe that's there for another day. But today I want to remind us that life doesn't always pan out how we want it to. I don't get everything that I ask for. You know this all too well in your own life as well. So we need to read this story through the eyes of Abram, enter into this moment with him, experience what he experiences and feel what he feels as he has this conversation with God. Because God comes to him in this great moment of of this great vision. And he says to him these great and encouraging words. He says to him, Abram, do not fear. I am your shield. I am your great reward. Abram, everything is okay. He says to him these great encouraging words in this vision. And Abram responds with a short, sharp retort of frustration. Really, God? (laughs) Really? And it just spills out everywhere. You know, you have a conversation with someone and it just all comes out. You were talking about this and all of a sudden we're talking about this other thing that's completely irrelevant and the tears start flowing and the emotion comes out. What God says to Abram has nothing to do with his kids, but it's just behind the surface for Abram. It doesn't take much to scratch the surface and all of a sudden it comes out. And Abram's frustration and his anger and his disappointment comes out. This is Abram's great angst that he does not have an heir. There is no one to to inherit all that is happening in his life. And there's no one to inherit this promise. As good as it sounds, as great as it is, as, as nice as God's words is, it means nothing if it's to go nowhere. And so Abram challenges God. He pushes back. What I want us to notice as Abram does this is that this is the fourth conversation that he has with God. The fourth conversation. And in this conversation, 
It says Abram's faith is credited to him as righteousness. But that comes at the back of the conversation. That's not the opening words. On the fourth conversation, most of the way through, after Abram spilt his frustration, he responds once with faith and it says then it's credited to him as righteousness. Abram was chosen a long time ago. He didn't earn it. It wasn't his faith. It wasn't his success. It wasn't his victory. It wasn't his achievement. It wasn't his belief that this would be sorted out, that he would in fact have a child that made him chosen. Abraham was already chosen. He was chosen by grace. God had already called him forward to be a recipient of the love and grace of God. It had nothing to do with Abram's faith, nothing to do with his righteousness, nothing to do with his belief. His looking up as God invited him to do was simply a response to him already being chosen and on the journey of wrestling and understanding what this means. Friends, you are chosen already by God. Prior to anything that you've done, any right living, any act of moral victory, any good works, any success, any victory, anything that's gone right or wrong in your life, you were already chosen by a God who loved you, who calls you, who knows you. And while we spend so much of our life seeking to strive and outperform our deepest angst, God sits with us calmly in peace. He rests with us, not stressed, not anxious, not trying to achieve like we feel we are trying to achieve. And he invites us to look up, to look up and receive what already is being given. 2 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul He wrestles with his great angst in his life. He unpacks in this letter the great angst that he describes as a thorn in his flesh. This is the thing that if he could change anything, he would change this. This is the part of Paul's life that he would get rid of. Whatever it is, it's the thing that he thinks might might be holding him back, that his life would be better, that things would be greater if he could just deal with this great angst in his life. And he says to God again and again, would you take this away? And he hears God's answer repeatedly say to him, no, you're going to keep this thorn, Paul. You're going to keep this challenge. Why? Because this profound grace, this grace of God, this grace that chose you before you did anything, Paul, this grace has chosen you. And this grace will be seen and made known. This grace will be revealed more powerfully within your weakness. So God says to Paul, no, I'm not taking this one off you. You're going to carry this in your flesh, this thorn in your flesh. God says it once and Paul keeps asking. So it's not to say that we just give up on prayer. We should pray and pray boldly. We should ask for great things. We should not take no for an answer if we think that it's a no initially. We should keep on praying, but know that in doing so, We should be open to a word of God like Paul receives. It says, no, actually, I'm doing something greater. In other words, God says to Paul, Paul, look up. Look up. Like he said to Abram, look up. Set your eyes on an eternal perspective. 
There's a greater thing that I'm doing here in this pain and this angst that you carry than just you being relieved from it. You, are, you were chosen by my grace to receive my love and be a vessel of that love to many. So Paul, lift your eyes off this thing and start celebrating your weaknesses because I am made stronger in that very place. Lift your eyes, Paul, look up. You were already chosen. You're already seen and loved by grace. Lift your eyes, look up and receive what is already true about you, Paul. Friends, this is the remarkable truth that I want us to sit in and rest in and be aware of today. That in our angst, our brokenness, our hurts, our shame, our regrets, whatever that thing is that's boxed up and just behind the surface. Jesus has already chosen you. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. And he pours himself out for you. This is the invitation today. That you can't earn or achieve or chase after or or do some kind of special thing to get more of it. It's already given and given in full. You are the full recipient of this love, of this grace. And the invitation is to look up and receive it. To set our eyes on an eternal perspective, on a picture that says it's okay. I am okay. This thing that I would want to get rid of, this thing that I would want to change, you know what? It doesn't separate me from the love of God. It doesn't change who He is. It doesn't change what He says about me. It doesn't change His image of who I am, of where I'm going. And His invitation is for me to look up, to not ignore it, to not pretend that it doesn't exist and then hopefully feel okay, but in the midst of what it is that I carry, this angst, this frustration, in the midst of it, to look up, to notice the character and nature of the God who has already chosen me, who has already chosen you, and who loves you profoundly, deeply, and is calling you towards him. So friends, will you give up striving to outdo your angst? Will you give up striving to achieve and make good and be better than the thing that sits there within you? And instead, will you receive? Will you open your life, will you open your lives, your heart? Will you lift your eyes like Abram? And notice the character and nature of God who by grace has already chosen you, has already called you, already sees you and already offers his life for you. Look up, friends. Look up and see the profound truth of grace that is calling you. Let's pray together. I invite you in the room here to stand with me as we pray. And maybe as you do, and at home, whatever is the, or wherever you're watching as a part of our stream, whatever is right for you right now, I just wonder if you'd like to, in some ways, respond to looking up. 
whether it's an opening of the hands and opening of yourself to God, whether it's a physically looking up, if that feels right for you. I want to invite you to physically respond in, in some way right now that's comfortable and right for you as a way of, of telling yourself, I'm looking up, I'm receiving what it is that is already true. I'm receiving the grace that has already chosen me. And I want to look up and look at the character and nature of the God who gives it. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much that you are here, you are among us. We thank you that throughout the Scriptures we see your divine character and nature, your divine qualities revealed again and again and again. That it's not so simple that we just get whatever we want because we want it. But instead, whether it works out or it doesn't, you invite us to notice you. And so with open hands, open hearts, open lives, God, We lay before you the angst that we carry, the frustration, the bitterness, the disappointment, the shame, the regret. We just lay that out before you, God. You see, you know, you're aware. And before you, God, we remind ourselves that it counts as nothing compared to the overwhelming grace that you offer us, Jesus you choose us. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We haven't achieved it. We receive it. And so we look up, Lord God. We look up to your creation. We look up at the stars above us every day. We look up to your creation, which speaks of your love, of your majesty, of your wonder. We look up to the character and nature of who you are described to us in the Scriptures. We look up to the ways of love that are uh, are giving us an example in one another. We look up to who you're calling us to be. We look up to grace abundant that has no bounds, that has no restrictions, that has no barriers, that is not separated or torn from us under any condition. We look up. We receive with peace, mercy, and in love we receive from you today, Lord God. Make us a bold people in Jesus' name. Make us a courageous people. Make us a people like Paul who would boast in the things who would others would call a regret. Make us a people like Abram who will believe and trust on your character and your nature, not on what we see or understand. Make us a bold and courageous people. Make us a people of faith. And in this moment of worship, as we raise our hands to you, as we lift our lives to you, Lord God, may you be praised. May your glory and honour go to you. May you receive the, the praise and the worship of your church. And may your people live according to your ways. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.